When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down. Brought to you by KDD Media Company. The impulse control is a thing. And that's a thing whether, you know, you're dealing with addiction or you're dealing with ADHD. That's a lot of the ways, though. ADHD and addiction are intertwined mm-hmm. and you'll see that too when you look at statistics of people that are addicts and how many of them have ADHD no surprise there they're connected right the knocking doors down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira foundation and how it all started all proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira foundation's race to be drug-free campaign so what's that all about through the race to be drug-free campaign Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This is Knocking Doors Down, a podcast about ending the stigma around addiction and mental health issues. Your host, Jason, here, background of alcoholism, some childhood trauma. My co-host over there, Uncle Mikey. What is going on, people? Hey, he's been busted a time or two. Yeah, what are you going to do? Struggles a little bit with some anxiety in other areas. We're all about talking with people that take all of these uh, matters and issues, openly talk about them to destigmatize it, and, uh, well, that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. That's Pushing right. through. And our guest this week, Alicia Crosley. What an awesome lady, Mikey. She's a real sweet girl. That's right. Roll Tide. She is from uh, Mountain Brook, Alabama, living in Birmingham now. An awesome lady. We really dig into uh, her traumatic past, and, uh, you know, she talks a lot about intergenerational trauma, you know, her story uh, that's going to be the catalyst to her book that she is working on. Also, her podcast, The Imperfectly Polished Podcast, Medication versus Meditation. We get into that, balancing motherhood and being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, the word I always screw up. Uh, She's got a thriving photography business. I mean, in the midst of the conversation, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm about ready to be flown to France for work. It's like, how, how much are you fucking killing it here, Alicia? And then, of course, her late-life diagnosis with ADHD and really shedding some light around ADHD uh, medications, which we've not really talked to anyone that uh, is uh, using prescribed medications under doctor supervision to help with any sort of mental disorders and stuff, too. So it's really eye-opening for me. I just feel like everything she's been... I, I loved talking to her because she's just so 
positive and successful and motivated and just always has a smile and it's just she's very admirable especially all the stuff that she had overcome especially as a youth that you guys will uh hear in a moment yeah you're gonna hear some uh, really a traumatic childhood and i don't know about you mikey my experience in talking with her uh, was and i actually think that in the interview you really kind of point this out that uh, you commend her because <coughs> i would not expect with the childhood she came from that that is the wom- woman we're talking to oh about. yeah for sure no, not at so. all. You would think she'd be, you know, the childhood, like, the mom on the blind side. You know, they're very well-off, you know, just all-American family, white picket fence, all that good stuff. But, no, she has had a very traumatic childhood, and she de- – talk about knocking doors down. Goodness. She has definitely overcame that and is just doing better than ever, and she should be super proud of herself because that's really incredible. Absolutely. Well, of course, we got to thank 5150 LTM, always swagging uh, the fabulously tattooed Uncle Mikey and myself out. Wherever we go on the road, you'll see us wearing uh, the 5150 gear in social media posts and on our YouTube channel. And you, listeners of Knocking Doors Down, guess what? 20% off at checkout. How, Jason? They got to use the code KDD20. What was it? KDD20. That's KDD20. Use the numerics. You get 20% off at checkout or click that link in the podcast description. Sick. Alicia Crossley, thank you so much for joining us on Knocking Doors Down. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here, and uh, I feel so honored to, to get to be a part of this show. Yeah. Hey, Roll Tide, right? Roll Tide. We have one son named Bryant after the bear. If you guys oh. out there know anything about Alabama football. Paul Bear Bryant. I was going to say, what is Roll Tide? What are you guys talking about? Alabama football. Uh, I don't watch college. I'm strictly strictly NFL. I I love NFL. I don't watch college. We'll have to indoctrinate you if you ever get over to Birmingham, down to Birmingham. It's, uh, there's a great ESPN commercial. Have you guys seen that? Where they, everything, the answer in Alabama to everything is Roll Tide. Roll Roll Tide, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, somebody dies, Roll Tide. If somebody, you know, passes you in the grocery store, hey, Roll Tide. It's it's the greeting, so, yeah. I'm I'm surprised you haven't asked me that, not a little TMI here, but like when a nice looking lady walks by or something else, I've said, Roll Tide. I I tune you out a lot of the time, so I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) It's all those foam, all the soundproof in there. Jason, he can't hear you, so he's tuning you out. I'm going to start saying Absolutely. How you doing, man? Roll tide, baby. <laughs> well, of course, uh, uh, you know, we got a lot of great things to talk about. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, a photographer, uh, wedding photography is your primary business. You're about ready to go to France for it. So you did yeah. you did a lot better in that business than I did, uh, which I did a little bit in, in college. We'll talk about that because uh, you know, some other time off air. But also the uh, Imperfectly Polished podcast what really led you into starting the podcast and wanting to get your story out? Because you're working on your book as well, and you you talk a lot about intergenerational trauma, which is an area we've discussed with other folks. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. This is very exciting time because um, I'm on my own timeline with writing the book. I have a great writing coach, but it's definitely uh, a daily task i maybe should have started with an essay instead of a whole book you know as i'm getting into it i'm like i thought having the story would be the hard part turns out writing the story is but i've spent 13 years in the wedding photography industry as a educator speaker um very active still shooting i love what i do it's ultimately telling stories from a visual standpoint Mm. you know it's all about learning each person each couple's story and relaying that 
through the images. And so that narrative, the love of the narrative is kind of where everything connected for me. And over the years, I've been able to hide behind the camera in a lot of ways um, mm. and live through these stories that are beautiful and polished. You know, you get to see that on the wedding day. It's not a lot of ugly there, not a lot of uh, confusing or uh, hard emotions to deal with. And my story doesn't look so much like that. Mm. And it really took coming through my own transformation. I said I, I had a quarter life crisis. And that's actually a thing. I don't know if you guys have heard that term yet. It's yes. a thing. Cosmo wrote about it. So if Cosmo <laughs> wrote about it, it's a thing. When I turned and 30, I had mine. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Mikey. See, guys have them too. All yeah. right. So I was 27. And ultimately, it was just um, first time that I really started struggling from a standpoint of uh, binge eating, binge drinking. I never went out as a, a teenager, I was so disciplined because of my parents' lifestyle and their mm. addiction. I was so driven and I was so convinced that what they had experienced and their problems had not affected me. So through these years of being a wedding photographer and utilizing that platform, um, in some ways, without knowing it, I was hiding from that story, my own story. And, you know, if it's in you, it's going to come out eventually. And we just, mm -hmm. we all have uh, those places that need to, that need to be filled in. And for me, it, it was a, a time thing. It just wasn't time. It was, it was growing and I didn't even realize it. Sure. And um, acknowledging those hurts, acknowledging those wounds is ultimately what the book is focused on and seeing my parents for who they were rather than what they did, right. uh, not their addiction, but what they were outside of that. And really being able as a parent now to understand it's really really damn hard <laughs> you know like <laughs> yes, i'm coming no from shit. a background with a graduate degree and like we have a what i would say a good healthy marriage it's so hard and my mother dropped out of school at 14. um she got pregnant at 19. my father shot her six times in the back when i was 18 months old oh my god they're very toxic for each other and looking back and seeing her as a woman as a mother as someone who had dreams that never had the opportunity she was behind before she ever started sure it's a different reflection compared to the 14 year old girl even the 21 year old woman who watched her go ahead and during her overdose pass away um that last overdose it's a very different reflection so at 36 my whole goal with the book and with the podcast is to bring that story um, to life in a way where she's humanized uh, in a way that she never was when she was alive, yeah. that she never had the opportunity to. So not shying away from the truth, the things that she struggled with and the things that she chose were certainly her choices, but there was a lot more to the story that never, never really got to see the light of day because yeah. you guys know anyone who struggles with addiction oftentimes or anything, um, that's what we're categorized as, that we're pigeonholed, if you will, yeah. by that addiction. And that's never the full story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so very valuable that you bring up trauma. And, and, you know, through our conversations, I think we've learned so much that sure there is, you know, genetics or circumstances. There are certain people that do have good upbringings might fall into a, an addiction pattern. But really the greatest gateway drug is trauma. And I know it from me, there's a, a lineage of it on both sides of my family that, that, that goes back. And um, 
Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy and very powerful that you're digging in. I'm I'm so sorry that your mom passed away that way. Um, what what substances was it for your folks? Was it just alcohol? Yeah. Was it drugs? So was it it's everything? really interesting. Um, also, just in my being an I was an English major, and so I have such a heart for research, and sure. it's been a really for revitalizing my family's history in a way, unearthing it has been so in, impactful for me. Um, I know nothing about my mother's side of the family. She was mm. one of six girls. All six are now now dead from some sort of addiction or addiction-related death. Oh, my god! I was one of 14 cousins. There's three of us still left that either haven't been in rehab, aren't in prison, or are still alive. So when we talk about the intergenerational aspects of it and really look at that, I'm talking about some strong holds on my family and being able to see mother's addiction as I was growing up because I was with her more. My father died when I was six and Mm. his problem, his choice of drug, if you will, was cocaine. Now as someone, I was actually diagnosed with ADHD last year at 35 and I can see so much of my father in that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an ADHD thing. We all, once we're diagnosed, this is what I've learned, we all diagnose everyone else. So anyone out there, you no, know, I'm not a doctor. I know, I know. But I can look back on my daddy and see um, him using cocaine was always for the sense of focus. It was always to propel himself forward, but there was no one there to tell him you know, this is not how to do that, right? right. And you can't monitor cocaine. You can't, you cannot, take cocaine and keep a handle on it and so it eventually handled him um and mother quite opposite she was not the one uh ever who was overly enthusiastic about being around people always had little undertones of anxiety and when daddy shot her she was 20 years old and so she's oh my gosh my mother was just gorgeous raven hair big green eyes just absolutely beautiful and so you have this 20 year old woman new mother i'm 18 months old and my dad and her are separating and uh she told me this story she went down to meet him in the car and he always had a crowbar in his car Hmm. and for whatever reason i mean they're still kind of shady characters breaking into cars breaking into houses you have crowbars right so when he went to reach into the door she expected the crowbar to come flying up And she said she opened the door of his El Camino and jumped out and took off. And she felt that first sting in her back. And even then thinking, oh, it's the crowbar. Like he got here really fast. And then the next thing she knew, she woke up in the helicopter. And so he had a gun in the car that day and he shot her six times from behind. Um, And so from that point, it went from not just mother having problems with recreational drug use, but she was literally using the drugs to manage the pain, yeah. uh, the pain from the shooting. And when it would rain, for instance, Jason, the rain, the weather, the change in the, you know, the pressure, yep. she would scream in agony. This was up until I left our house at 14. She was always in physical pain of some sort. Her left leg was permanently paralyzed. She wore a plastic brace. And so her self-medication was prescription drugs and, um, you know, easy enough to access to until you can't access them anymore. And then you're categorized by that addiction and then you're desperate. And so from that, that mismanaged pain, she grew desperate. Um, And there are a lot of nameless people with nameless bottles in our lives. When I was growing up, 
and I knew, I knew from a young age, the blue bars were the, the um, Xanax and, you know, the yellow dollops of Valium. I knew the colors. I knew which ones that a doctor wasn't supposed to give her if it was yeah. Advil or if it was something my mother shouldn't take. Yeah. And I learned it quickly because her taking the drugs meant that I would be taken away. So I began to monitor and watch constantly, you know, from the age of seven years old, uh, what it was she was carrying around, what it was that she was putting in her mouth. Yeah, oh, that's such a tough impact. We, you know, we, gosh, we've had a couple of stories of people where they come from, you know, that generational situation, and you know, they're monitoring their parents. Like you said, you're the you're, you're you're a child. You're the one that should be nurtured, taken care of, and you've been thrust into this situation where you're having to code be codependent, sort of, to the the, to the addict. You know, oh my gosh, Wait, I can't imagine. <clears throat> so, mom survived the six shots. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, what right? happened to dad? At this this is the crazy thing, Mikey. Um, and again, like I have talked to a medium recently. Um, I'm a little woo for California. I'm like very woo for Alabama. <laughs> and so uh, I always say that. I always like, um, but I do see, I see an energy specialist here. We actually have one of those in Birmingham and she's amazing. I'm sure there are other ones, but that's been really transformative for me. Um, and I say all that because I have had that question for my entire life about after the shooting, what happened and why, why this happened um, with her and my father, they, they didn't divorce, they didn't separate. And so recently, one of the things in, in writing the book, and again, for me, it's a bit of an unearthing process to just understand who they were. They're not here anymore. Her yeah. siblings aren't here anymore. There's no one to ask these questions really. So I pulled the police report. I have a dear friend who's still in the jurisdiction that sh the shooting happened in and my father's bail was posted by some really local, really respectable local leaders. I was surprised. Huh. And I wanted to ask, why did you, you know, why was almost $70,000, and this is in 91, why was that, not 91, this was 86. Um, but the medium that I spoke with talked about them being a twin flame and the power in that and that toxic just attraction between them sure. so she didn't leave him though to answer your question honestly it's crazy to me as you know a woman now to imagine that and i remember even three years old i remember him holding her up and shaving her legs in the shower because she was in a wheelchair for the first two years after the shooting um so i remember him tenderly taking care of her but it was the wounds that he inflicted yeah know it was very very twisted in that way but they did love each other um in a very toxic way and sure. they were i think connected throughout the rest of her life i think he was always with her yeah a way that i've put it is uh, those types of relationships is a supernova it's a beautiful explosion to look at but you got to remember an explosion happened of That's great right. veracity for that to occur more with Alicia Crosley coming up on Knocking Doors Down. We dig a little bit more into her ADHD late life diagnosis and how she's combating that. Plus those fun random questions. It's all good time. Roll Tide. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. 
Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. I just, that's, I can't get over. There's just so many questions that I have for that particular situation. Like, were your grandparents on either side? Were they alive when this happened? Like, yeah, so uncles, this is where did today. anybody want yeah. you shot? I'm going to kill you. You know what I'm saying? Like, so this is what I fully think. And again, at this point, even from, I, I've actually, there's one witness who's mm-hmm. still alive. Mm-hmm. And I, I talked to her recently. Um, my, it was at an apartment. My grandfather on my mother's side was there, my mother's father. Mm-hmm. My dad had called and said, I want you to come out and let's talk about civilly, you know, let's do the whole separation, custody, let's come out to the car and talk about it. One of her sisters and her dad was upstairs and she and I were upstairs and he wanted to see me. And in hindsight, knowing that, um, she refused to bring me down. She said, I'll come down and I'll talk to you, but I'm not bringing Alicia out. I think that day, honestly, Mikey, if I, at 18 months old, I think he planned to kill all of us, including himself that day. Mm-hmm. He later killed himself when I was six. So five years later, he killed himself. But my my grandfather and my mother's sister were watching from the window as she walked down and got in his car to talk and watched the shooting happen. And I was in my aunt's arms in the window Jeez. instead of down there with her. Um, one of the things too, like the, the story of it, and I'd only realized this from getting the police report, he committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning, taking the hose pipe from the car tank. He went back to an area, which is now commercialized. It's very built up now. But at this time when he died, it wasn't, it was very wooded, but it was right next to where he shot her. And I don't think that was by happenstance. And it was, it, you know, now knowing, knowing that, and there's no one to ask. There's literally no one to ask. He still has siblings that are alive. Um, and I'm very, resp- I, my aunt, his sister, pretty much was my mom growing up. Uh, his mother and my, and uh, his aunt, excuse me, his mother and his sister raised me. Um, they were such a big part of why I'm not part of the cycle. But ultimately, there's been a lot of closed closed mouths around what happened with my dad, who my dad was. He was such a likable guy. And that's what everyone says to me that I meet now when I ask about him. He was hilarious. He had a a big sense of humor. People loved him, but there were these two sides of him. And if you knew the other side, it's the only way if you saw it in person that you would ever believe it because he was such a likable person. And I think it's really hard and I can understand this. Again, our stories are our own. That's why it's called, you know, your memoir is your life story. It's not about my aunts or my uncles. It's not about how. So I get as much information as I can. But when it comes down to it, it's how I knew my parents and um, reconciling that memory. So. So what did you find, uh, you know, uh, I also, I have a degree in photography, did wedding photography for a little bit, but you talk, uh, you know, about your, your degrees. 
Um, was was art an outlet for you, a way of expression? Did that lead you to photography, writing, everything else, literature? What, it's so was- funny that you asked that because I just wanted to be good. I wanted to be everything that my parents weren't. And so growing up, uh, my teachers were incredibly impactful. I thrived on positive affirmation. Thank God, instead of negative affirmation or <laughs> rebelling, you know, like yeah. for whatever reason, that was very intuitive for me. Uh, so I wanted to be respectable. I wanted to have the dishes that matched. I wanted to have a career that, you know, people would be proud of me, people I didn't even know or care about. And in hindsight, that's that's where a lot of this, uh, I think a lot of people who experience childhood trauma, you're so desperate to be everything that your parents weren't that you don't even realize even question what is it that I actually want to be yeah. or what want to do, you know? So I didn't know that growing up. I didn't know that going into college. Um, I was majoring in English with the, the anticipation of going to law school and studying for the, I was studying for the LSAT and my study groups took the LSAT, did my internship, hated the internship. And so I was going to do family law because of all this. I felt mm-hmm. like a, you know, purpose there, but I absolutely hated the internship. So now I have a degree in English and I had double majored in art uh, because I was in, interested in photography and I worked at a photography studio during college. So now I have two useless degrees and <laughs> I'm sitting there, what the hell am I going to do with these? Um, and I decided, okay, I, I finished school in three years instead of four. So I went on and I did substitute teaching and just for that semester trying to decide on grad school. And I really loved it. I didn't expect to love it. So I did grad studies in education and taught for three years while doing photography for fun. Uh, And as we started growing a family, it was kind of like, hey, you know, just just keep doing photography. Let it be a fun thing. Never anticipated it being a business. I never anticipated um, being the business it is. And I think that's hard sometimes as a a woman. And like I hesitated saying that I teach other women not to hesitate to say that. We, I, I mean, at, at this point, 13 years in, the business is huge from a financial standpoint, from what it sustains. It's it's really incredible, you know, that the doors were open, that what happened and how it all came about. And it certainly took a lot of time and work. But I, I look back at that now and, you know, you asking, was art ever an outlet? No, because it couldn't be. That wasn't, that was too silly. I didn't yeah. have time for that. Um, and now... It's the very thing. It took it took years for our family to understand. Okay, as a teacher, Alicia made around forty thousand a year. Like as a photographer, she's making like six figures. Like, do you understand? Like, you know, like, oh, she's she's a photographer, but she she was a teacher. Like, she has a degree in teaching. Like, they were ashamed that I was a photographer, and I was like, guys, you don't get it, do you? Not only do I love it and the story aspect of it, but I'm um, fucking killing it here. I'm like, it's like the this is what's gonna pay for your nursing homes, guys. Like, wait a break, you know? I'm rich. So that that part was really frustrating. Um, and I think if you've been like you said to Jason yeah. in the art field at all, like as you were saying from that standpoint, there's a misconception there. There is definitely you can make the business what you want it to be. Yeah. So I was told at a young age, and I remember it, that you'll never yeah that artistic stuff. You're never going to make a living doing that. Ironically, both my brother and I have sustained our livings uh, being artistic. So uh, that exactly. individual was wrong and can stick it. Uh, so 
it sounds to me like it, it, you didn't experience any of the traumatic relationships that people often emulate. Did you go through any phase of that before meeting your husband or was it just kind of things they were what they were and just came to an end? I was really fortunate in that way. Um, Patrick, I'll tell you, is just, he's like this unicorn of a man. He's got the patience of Job. I know that's a, a biblical reference, sorry, but that is also <laughs> no, a literary reference. It is it's a piece good. of literature, right? Uh, but no, he's, um, and we've had our many, you know, our growing pains over, we've been married 17 years. And sure. so, but we did meet uh, when I was in, I was in high school, he's four years older than I am. And so that relationship for me was, that was the family I never had. That was the stability. And I think if that piece had been missing, and I know we can't live in the what ifs, we can't go back and just, but that would have been a very different, very different picture going through college without that stability, without without him. Um, for me, the biggest thing as far as repeating the, the relationships, the patterns really has been how I look to friendships how I used to look for friendships in the same way that I would look towards someone to mother me mm. um, or to mother the very codependent seeking that affection and affirmation from people who couldn't give it. And a lot of my female relationships have been, um, have been coded with that. And that's been hard to break. Yeah. I read a book actually called codependent no more. If you guys have heard of that. Um, and it was a very powerful book to even understand codependency in itself and what that means and how is someone who's not living the life of an addict how you can still be codependent from an oh, emotional yeah. standpoint right like that's the whole idea um but yeah so that's that's been a hard thing to break and to be aware of uh i am definitely a recovering people pleaser um that has plagued me yeah, yeah tattooed up. on the enneagram um, and as much now as I, I still love to serve, it's all about the intention behind it. And it's not to find my own worth or to make sure that I do have worth. I get to decide that, right? Yeah. Uh, but that used to be the whole purpose was, you know, I think a lot of us in the service industry, that's one of the things that we may not realize how much it means to us, that praise, that affirmation. And it was definitely something that I didn't get from my parents as a child, namely my mother, since that relationship was there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, we, we've had personal conversations about, gosh, it must, I just see it with my female friends and the friendships they try to make. And women could be, not that men can't be, but we're just kind of like, yeah, you're a dick. You're a dick. Uh, uh, all right. Everything's fine. But women can be really, really harsh on one another, especially yeah. it just seems they're so... You know, if it's if it's outward beauty or the things they have and, you know, all this stuff that doesn't matter. How did you start to identify these are codependent when I need to be interdependent with this these relationships? I think the older that, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, it's realizing the people who are reciprocating that level of care mm. and not because what did you do for me recently or what have you been able to give me or bring me but the people who show up to help you move from house to house right. without asking the people who when you come home with a new baby and you can't get your diaper on while holding <laughs> the newborn and try to like eat at the same time they're literally they're helping you change your diaper and the baby's diaper right. um you know and and being aware of the people who show up in those situations when it there's literally nothing for them that is a value other than the fact that you're there with them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's there's enough of that if we step back and look at the people we can count on and the types of people like that, 
and being able to identify those characteristics, you know, the people who are loyal, the people who, like you're saying, they're not encompassed by the superficial, what are you wearing? What label is it? How is your makeup today? When's the last time you walk? You know what I mean? There's yeah. there's no to be seen. It's not it's not for appearances. It's all for the sake of community. Um, and that's it's hard yeah. to recognize that when you're in the cycle of people pleasing and looking for affirmation. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, because that's definitely been a big struggle of mine that I think it was one of those elements of, of my alcoholism. You talk about your dad having ADHD, you know, and you believe controlling using cocaine, and, but you late life diagnosis. How did you even come to find that out? Did you have some psychological tests or? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so first of all, that's one of the big things I talk about because it is very common for women to be diagnosed late in life, especially oh. compared to the male, their male counterparts. If you look at the ages um, with, as far as elementary school age kids, the boys are three to one compared to how often females are diagnosed, okay? Mm. So three to one. By the time you get to 30, it's closer. It's closer and it gets closer and closer and closer and it continues to get more even as far as the level of those diagnosed mm -hmm. as we age. And it's, it's for many reasons, but one of the main things, this is what I'd love for women to know. I was diagnosed with um, anxiety and depression as a teenager, no surprise there, right? <laughs> I mean, you go through some shit, you're gonna feel some <laughs> yeah, shit, right? Exactly. Even if you're not aware of what's happening yet. So the panic attacks started when I was probably 12, 13. I mean, I remember being at home with my mother and her screaming at me as I would um, have a panic attack, you know, to stop acting like an idiot, like stop that shit, stop that, you know? Uh, and her, her own anxiety, looking at that nail, I was a mirror to her, I was showing mm -hmm. her anxiety and she could not face her own anxiety uh sometimes it would take her over but that's why she numbed it you know that's why she used the pain the the pain pills the prescription pills and i was uh, i was a mirror to her to say like this is the anxiety and she couldn't help me work with it because she had never worked with her own anxiety you know right. so um that's a very common thing though uh whenever we look at girls who are diagnosed with anxiety and depression, even bipolar, you're more likely to be diagnosed with that compared to ADHD as a female. Hmm. And as a young boy, even boys on through middle school, and I can say this as being a middle school teacher, um, boys present typically in a more physical way. They're restless. They're unable to sit still. Um, they're the hyperactive and right. they're the squeaky wheel. So as a seventh grade uh, English teacher, <laughs> you know, I would have said, Jason has got to, we've got to look at this. You know, I would go to my, and I would say, we've got to check this out. Now, my girls in the classroom, and this is typical of why women aren't diagnosed until later in life, were able to mask easier. Cognitively, there's that level of uh, ability more advanced than the counterparts at a young age where you can look around and mimic what you see the behavior should be. Mm. Also, most teachers counteract that and say, oh, they're daydreamers they chalk it up to personality sure. you know she's flighty chatty a daydreamer it doesn't present like with boys and that very physical aspect that's hard to control as a classroom teacher so as so why then at some point how does it start presenting why like you asked me why yeah. how did you get this diagnosis alicia so i went in for my regular um cardiologist checkup because i do have 
slightly elevated blood pressure. It's better since I've lost weight. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> slightly elevated. And I was like, um, so I, he was like, we got to start on blood pressure medicine. And it is genetic. Everyone on my dad's side of the family has blood pressure issues. Sure. Uh, and I said, okay, okay, I'll start on the blood pressure medicine, but I need to ask you this. Like I drink espresso, like it's going out of style. And sometimes I take caffeine pills and sometimes I take modafinil, which we Oof. have. And it's like, you know, the Bradley Cooper movie, which was found on, uh, what was that movie? It's like all about, it's about that drug, modafinil. It's, um, oh goodness. Uh, it's a smart drug, but it's the whole, yeah, yeah. that whole movie Limitless. was about that. Limitless? Limitless? Yes, yeah. that's it, that's it, Mikey. Mikey. nailed it, yeah. yeah. Yes, and so I, I was in ways then self-medicating without realizing it, but as a business owner, mother of three, and you know, there's a lot of shit to do. And so um, I was using these different substances from caffeine to modafinil to focus. And he said, Alicia, have you ever been, have you ever been tested for ADHD? And I was like, no. Well, first of all, we didn't have, we didn't have healthcare growing up. Like, I didn't have insurance. You went to the county clinic if you had ringworm or cat scratch fever, which are both real things. I don't know if those happen in California. I just think yes. Ted Nugent. Uh, Ted Nugent <laughs> happens. <laughs> yes, both, both oh, yeah. happen. I, I I definitely had ringworm from being a very uh, active kid and getting dirty a lot. But uh, I always yeah. told my coaches I had ringworm, but they just to get out of practice. But I <laughs> but I never did. Sorry, coach, if you're listening. I'll tell you, Mikey, I was I was excited. I was I was probably six years old. I remember going to the clinic and they're like, you've got ringworm. And I was like, yes, ringworm. Like it sounded cool. Right. And my mom was like, this is not a good thing. And I did. I had the big, you know, I remember it was on my foot and the whole cat scratch fever thing, too. Like I had my glands. They got all swollen from this you sure. know, cat we found in the forest and brought home. So so there was no health care growing up. Um, and it, if it came down to it, you know, somebody from some charity would come and pick us up and take us to have, a, you know, rotten tooth pulled or whatever. Uh, later on, when I was around 12, my mother did getting disability benefits. Mm. And then we suddenly had Medicare, right? Medicaid, whichever one it is when you, you know. And so then for the first time we had some sense of healthcare, but I was never tested as a child. And I do remember it, you know, I was such a people pleaser back to what we were talking about, Jason, and my need to please and to make good grades. And I had such a longing for that. I was able to hyper-focus <laughs> on school. Mm -hmm. You know, I was so hyper-focused on being a good student. Uh, but why it continues on and why it finally becomes an issue for most women is you can only mask so much and sure. you add in then a business children a marriage and as women age we are only able to not know what we don't know right and so when he said that i really thought it was silly i had not done any research on this and um he sent me to a psychiatrist and I, again i was thinking okay she's going to change my antidepressant like i'm on prozac I was on Prozac and Wellbutrin at the time. Mm. And, you know, I was like, okay, I guess we're going to adjust the medicine, whatever. This is great. And she was like, I didn't know she was testing me, Mikey. Like, I didn't know it was a test. Mm -hmm. She's asking me like two hours worth of questions. Um, and it was all over Zoom because this is the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. And she was like, Alicia, what you're describing is textbook ADHD. Huh. And I really think you would benefit from us treating it with medication. And I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? This has never been said before. You know, I don't, I don't even, I don't even, I was not prepared. Even the cardiologist said, it. I'm like, you're a cardiologist. Cute. You don't really know. You know, yeah. you just don't want me That's to take adorable. caffeine. That's <laughs> adorable. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, you're worried about my heart. I love that. That's great. Right. But you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I have said over this past year, I've hyper-focused on hyper-focusing and I've just gone down this rabbit hole of understanding the rabbit holes that we live in of uh, neurodivergence. And it's very interesting to me. But the big thing that I want to bring awareness to through the podcast and as I talk about it more, the women who have been told their whole life, oh, it's anxiety or it's depression and they've been misdiagnosed and they're in their 30s, 40s. Even this is the crazy thing, guys, even going into different checkups and getting screenings for Alzheimer's in their 60s and going to the right doctor and being told you actually have ADHD. It's not oh, Alzheimer's. Sure. How many people are misdiagnosed with Alzheimer's, especially on the female side? It's crazy. So there's so many studies. It's very interesting. And um, more studies are they're actually the first decade that you look at all of the research on ADHD. There weren't even women included. Girls weren't included. And so it used to be thought that girls didn't get it, you know, like it's herpes. And um, <laughs> it's not like I suddenly got it at 36. I've always had it. The anxiety comes up out of nowhere. Though, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's comes out of nowhere. You just that's what it. I, it gives what whatever I heard. it wants. That's what I heard. I heard that's it from what a friend. I heard. Yeah. I don't know who I got this from. I still yeah. haven't found that out. So, uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy though because with the the anxiety and the depression is very much there, but they are the symptoms of the ADHD. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, no fault of any doctor, but the awareness of how often women are actually screened for ADHD, especially younger girls, is completely uneven and misrepresented. And that's yeah. where I think we're moving in a good direction. They're at least becoming more aware of it. They, the people who hold all the information, not me, you know, yeah. whoever they are. Well, <laughs> it's always them damn, damn they, huh? Right? Yeah, those people, they're gonna learn stuff. Whoever they are, them, right? a bunch of sons of bitches. Uh, so yeah. my question with the roll ADHD tide. roll tide did it? Uh, Damn it! I wanted to throw that in somewhere. You guys both beat me. You into can do it. it after every statement, Mikey. But when you're like, talking about you, like serious, hey, I'm not going to say roll tide. No, I'd you be do like, it. Oh my you gosh. do it even serious. Like after a funeral, you go roll tide. It's roll tide. A, it can be comforting. Really? It can oh, yeah. be encouraging. Yeah, Man, dude, I am it, just it, too it, it can have any connotation, you know. Yeah. Like, okay. It just, it's, it's like tofu. It just adapts to whatever you put it into. <laughs> okay, there that was go. a very California statement. Wasn't right it California? Yeah. You like that? Yeah, I do I like do eat that. tofu, but I knew that was very California. <laughs> Vegetarian, so, totally so I do too. So I feel you. Oh, uh, I love tofu. Which is another Californian thing, vegetarian. It's okay. very, very California. And guess what kind of dog I have? Chihuahua. Very oh. Californian. I have a Chihuahua too. Was you? a rescue Chihuahua? Mine yeah. is too. It's a deer Chihuahua. <gasps> She's a rescue. Well, I grew up with chihuahuas, so that Roll was like thing. Roll Tide. Look <laughs> and, at us. And you got cats and a hamster. Look at that. Um, we sorry, got all sorry. kinds of things here. Was the ADHD really causing issues with your life? Was it, you yeah. know, within the marriage, the parenting, the, 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 the job? I mean, you're balancing so much. Uh, you're a total yeah. rock star. So it was getting to a point where it's like, I'm not able to fully function or what What was it that really there led There were so you many, this? yeah, that's a great question, Jason, because I think as, um, and I know we, I actually talked with Patrick about the dad guilt versus mom guilt. Dads have it hard too. I'm gonna throw yeah, that out there. Like dads have a lot of shit on them. Women and men in general. I'm just speaking from my season of life as far as like the whole parenting thing. But um, I just wanna say that because, you know, I'm speaking not on behalf of every mother, but as a mother and the the 
weight that we carry. Um, but I do want to just acknowledge how much our male counterparts and my husband is a rock star dad and um, he's got a lot of shit on him too. But looking at the, sitting down with the psychiatrist via Zoom, which is a great fun way to get your first psychiatry appointment in and learn you have ADHD, you know, uh, the questions that she was asking, like Mikey and I were talking about, I didn't realize she was screening me at that point. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know that this was, I, and so she's asking me questions and I'm thinking this is like a therapy appointment. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, you know, how is it Alicia? Like in the evenings, like at home, is it hard for you to sit through dinner? And I was like, how the hell do you know this? Who told you? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, these are things that I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, that is hard. And, and then I start crying. I'm like in, in full blown out tears on the Zoom meeting with this lady I just met. And I was like, I just want to sit down and read books with my children, <laughs> but I just can't make myself stay still long enough to read like a five page book. And I was like, you know, I don't get it. Like I have a successful business. I focus on all these other things. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so the things I never realized to even know, as I said, you don't know until you know, mm -hmm. I didn't know that those were problems. I just assumed, like you're saying, you got a lot on you. You're busy. Of course, it's hard to focus. Of course, you have a lot of anxiety. Of course, at the end of the day, you still, your mind's going 90 to nothing. And sometimes you can't fall asleep like 90% of the time and your brain never stops. It's anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but it was all part of this umbrella diagnosis. So some of the things that I've learned in hindsight that, or now, I always talk about like things I always assumed were anxiety that were actually ADHD or things I never knew were connected, time blindness. Hmm. Um, my husband's a project manager, which is just a sick joke because he's a time ninja. And I literally don't feel the internal passing of time. So, you know, it's a joke around here and everyone who knows me like, oh, yeah, before we leave in five minutes, I can like totally clean all the floors, write this thesis and take, you know, take this whole wedding and call it. And Patrick's like, that's going to take you 10 times longer than you think. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of strategies now that I've built in a lot of things that I didn't even know um, when I'm reading all of the neurotypical business books on time management and how to goal set that don't work for people whose brains work like mine. There are sure. a lot of great things about how my brain works. But that's not one of them. Um, the ability to hyperfocus is one of the really awesome ones. I can sit for 10 hours straight. And then I'm like, you know, if I get sucked into a subject or into a craft or into some kind of hobby, it's not always going to be for months that I'm interested in it. But for those few months that I am or the few moments, I'm going to be able to tell you everything about it. And so some of the things that are problems, I now understand better. Mm. I'm able to to understand why those were happening, why my, my brain works that way. And then some of the things that I almost discounted also as problems, I now see as really awesome things, you yeah. know, gifts of how my brain work. Mm -hmm. yeah, the medicine has helped talent. tremendously. Um, it's just like it gives me it gives me a longer fuse to be able to focus in on if I'm completing a task. I literally the first week I took it, I remember uh, listening into a conversation and I still the impulse, okay? The impulse control is a thing. And that's a thing whether, you know, you're dealing with addiction or you're dealing with ADHD. That's a lot of the ways though, ADHD and addiction are intertwined. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that too. Mm -hmm. When you look at statistics of people that are addicts and how many of them have ADHD, no surprise there, they're connected, right? And so um, looking back on my inability to control uh, the, the impulses, the the binge eating you know looking at the binge eating um i never could 
I never felt full and I always reached to food again and again and again for that hit of dopamine. Sure. Uh, our brains are craving that dopamine. And so I think if I'd had this, if I'd had this diagnosis four years ago, I had been I, from the binge eating. Um, I had gained I'm five, two. I'm, Everyone says I, I'm taller. I look taller online than I do. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> I actually the same height. Five I'm 5'2". Two. Two. Yeah. 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 But I was 250 pounds at 5'2". Oh and goodness. I was on a CPAP machine. My blood pressure was sky high. My doctor, um, this was four years ago, was like, I was doing CrossFit though five times a week. Like I could, I could back squat, you know, like I could back squat 170. I could like deadlift 250. But Going and working out five, six times a week was doing nothing because I sure. could not control my eating. Mm -hmm. And it was a dopamine rush. I was right. doing it for relief, for comfort. Yeah. So all of that to say the things that really plagued me that I took a lot of self, I, I beat myself up over and really looked at myself as someone weak and struggle, you know, struggling with things like that. This isn't the excuse for it. I think that's one of the misconceptions, people who have ADHD and talk about it openly. There's no excuse uh, of, okay, well, here's why I did that. It's the ADHD, it's, it, but it explains things and yeah. lets me know now what tools I need to look for to prevent things like that from happening. Yeah, and then you can own it then, and there you go. You got power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. And the medicine's just one of those tools though, Jason. Like it's the medicine. I take Vyvanse. Am I allowed to say medication names? I'm not sure. like a proponent. Oh I'm, yeah, no. I'm not like a spokesperson. I don't know. They That'd don't cool. sponsor us. Just say pills. They don't sponsor <laughs> us or me. I pay them a lot of money. So, yeah. They I mean, don't do shit. They, I really like their medicines. Um, no, but it's, I still take Prozac and then the Vyvanse and mm. together those two are, it's my cocktail of making my brain have the things that it needs right. to get the other things that it needs. So Yeah, which is another part of the, the I'm glad that you do bring it up because in talking about it and in ending the stigma around mental health issues is I've had cycles where I've been on different medications. Um, I haven't for a long time. Listening and talking with you, though, because I was diagnosed with hypervigilance uh, post some trauma yeah. stuff and kind of activated mid-late 20s. Um, but I'm starting to wonder, maybe they misdiagnosed me and it's ADHD because I've, I've had it where I'll sit like playing a Formula One video game or whatever it is. And it's like four hours have gone by and I'm like, what the shit? Okay. What happened? Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, where did that time go? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Mikey, you got anything else before we jump to some uh, fun random questions? Before we get all into that, I just want to commend you because your childhood and everything that you've seen and went through and how you are today, how I'm looking at you, you're so lively, you're so happy and smiley and positive, and you're doing very well for yourself, loving husband, the great family, all that, like good for you. Like yeah. that's incredible. I appreciate so that. So you should be proud that. of yourself as well. I'm very, I'm at a point I can say, I am damn proud of where I am. Yeah. I'm very thankful for the opportunities. I'm also not blinded by the fact, the opportunities that were afforded to me because sure. especially here in the South, the color of my skin, my ability to be bubbly and positive and fun and be pleasing enough. And these were all things that were out of my control that helped me with that. And I, I always like to acknowledge that too, Mikey, because I do believe anyone can come from the situations we have, whether that's by their own choosing or a place they've been placed, mm -hmm. right, as a child and make their life different. Sure. But there are definitely advantages that I was given for those reasons mentioned and more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that 
we need to make sure that we give credit where credit's due in that way. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Roll Tide. But I appreciate that. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting to tell you took off your jacket. I mean, I'm slightly tattooed, actually, as of this recording. I will be getting tattooed again tomorrow. He's fabulously tattooed, as you can clearly see. I did, oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah, you're oh. right. He's got... No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I even, I even right. got Callie oh, right gosh. there. You see that? Got Callie right here. I love it. So, <laughs> I love it. The tattoo, what, what, what led you to getting it? Any significant meaning for yeah. you? Yeah. Um, so the first tattoo, if you guys, do you want me just to do it with this one since it's, it's the visible sure. one? Sure. This roll one tide. is pretty recent. This is Roll Tide. I need to get that on here. Mm -hmm. uh, this though is, if you guys can see, is a, a bird, a blue bird here. Right. And um, the floral piece is really just, uh, I like the delicate floral piece, but the bird was for my dad. Um, and the book that I am writing, I'm using the working title, Bluebird Morning. Mm. And Bluebird Day, Bluebird Morning um, is a colloquial, it might be a Southern I don't know. Do you guys say that in California? Maybe not. It's a Southern mm -mm. saying, probably. Mm -mm. It means you go outside, the sky's blue, beautiful. It's one of those days you get out there and you're like, damn, I'm happy to be alive. You know, right. like it's that perfect temperature, sky's great, you got the sun. It's called a bluebird day, bluebird morning. So my nickname as a little girl was Bird because I was very picky, very little. Um, and there are a lot of bird imagery that comes up in the story naturally of my story. So morning, instead of M-O-R-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-I-N-
Oh yeah. About because in the back of my mind, there's always like a there's always a uh, theme song going. Sure. And you know whether it's good or bad, and so I think it would be something very psychological and uh, like running with scissors or something. Very <laughs> Sandra, like indie yeah. and weird as fuck. Sandra yeah, Bullock was the I blind side, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could totally see that. Um, <laughs> I could totally. What, see. Now I got to know what music you would have in your head for the soundtrack. Ooh, um, I've been listening to Van Morrison all week this week, so I'd probably oh, nice. go that direction. I'm very eclectic. I really, really love um, anything that's literary, anything that has really beautiful lyrics. So sure. Bob Dylan, I taught Bob Dylan as like a poet when I taught seniors and uh. even Eminem, I taught Eminem as like a modern day poet. So oh, yeah. anything that the words have good meaning. There's a local band, I'll give a shout out, called the Brook and the Bluff. Uh-huh. They're a singer songwriter band. They are so awesome. And another really talented because of the lyrics and the musical talent. Those two have to be there. You know, cool. if I have the rights to say what music's in that movie, has to be really solid on the lyrics and the music. <laughs> I love it. All right, uh, you're stranded on a deserted island, but somehow you have a record player and a, a DVD player and TV. What that one sounds mo- like me, that's what I would have brought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? What, <laughs> what one movie and one album would you have brought with you? Mm, uh, so Brandy Carlisle. I'm obsessed. This is my writing song, the story, anything Brandy. So I would, even though I didn't mention that in the last one, Brandy Carlisle I could listen to okay. over and over. And I'm very sensory sensitive. Like the process, that's one of the things, the auditory processing is hard for me. So it has to be something I wouldn't get tired of. Definitely Brandy Carlisle. Movies, I have a hard time. And in hindsight, it makes sense sitting down and watching an entire movie. Um, I've never been big on movies for that reason because I can't focus that well. I would say, and this is a really dark one, but I love it. What Dreams May Come. Oh, yes. Or, yeah, I love that one. And I love Big Fish for the imagery. Mm. Big Fish um, is, was awesome. Yeah. Again, I think they're always a little bit, a little odd. My husband loves classic action movies and Marvel. And, you know, our oldest is almost 12. And they're always like, Mom, please, like, He's like, I promised I would do the whole Marvel series and I haven't owned up to it yet. So I'm going to get kicked out of this family if I don't get my act together. I haven't either. Hey, I get it. Even though I'm a huge, I grew up as like now, like child me is so excited because it's all the comic books I read. But they're fucking long, Alicia. So I totally get it. I need like double dose of my medication. I'm going to call (laughs) Dr. Smith and say, look. I need some strategies in place. We got to figure out something so I can watch the Marvel movies with my family. Like, yeah. what do you got for that? You know? And they re- and they are. They, they did such a brilliant job. Great actors. But I get it. They can be really long. Well, and it's going to be even longer for somebody like me or you who doesn't really even want to watch it. So exactly. they're long for fans, a fan of it. Yeah. So if you're yeah. not a fan of it, it's going to be that much longer. But And they get so pissed off at me if I'm like, okay, let me just take a minute and just sit here and like look up Amazon and buy some Amazon prom crap I don't need you know because that's right. that's my other great hyper focus and they're like mom pay attention you're gonna miss it and I'm like okay I'm trying so. yeah. well, uh, you know goals. Though, I, I have to ask like for me you know and I don't know if it's that hyper vigilant thing I don't necessarily need to watch something to even pick up all the imagery I just I get okay. it and I can the story comes together what if we're the same person but you're the boy version of me and we don't even know it yet I'm taking afternoon medicine right now I don't know right. why I'm like showing you guys I always <laughs> do this and that whenever I get out my medicine like at a wedding even I'm like guys this is my prescription this is this is allowed I don't know why. this is a first on my... knocking doors down right. <laughs> it's like my own stigma around medication I want everyone to know that like. this is my medication I don't know maybe and that's why but yeah I don't have to watch it to know 
what's happening. Like yeah. I can see it in my mind just by hearing it and hearing pieces of it. I'm the, exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So look at us. We're knocking a new new door down here. So we're maybe we're related. I mean, yeah. my family is a little crazy. So who knows? Maybe <laughs> I have a long lost brother in California. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. If you could travel anywhere in time, but you had to stay there, where would it be and why? Who? I don't like staying places. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You could move around. You know what? You're not going to like this answer because I'm cheating, but it would be 2021. And I actually did this in a cocktail and combo podcast with one of my best friends, Anna. She's also my lead shooter, assistant shooter here, the photography, because there's never been a time that women have had as many resources as many opportunities and options as right now in the present. And as much as I think it's cool and I'm a huge vintage clothing nerd, like all of my clothing is vintage clothing. And I have so much love for the different periods and the details. I wouldn't want to go back and have anybody telling me what the hell to do with my life. Like I want to tell myself what to do with my life, you know? So roll tide. I don't want to lose any of those privileges. Roll tide. (laughs) Roll tide. Um, I'm going to have fun with that. Can I go as a man, though? If I could go back as a man and not as a woman, that would be different. What would you go back to if you were a man? What year? Ooh, probably like pre-Civil War. Mm, Really? Yeah. Yeah. Before Mm. it started getting real shitty, like in the Civil War, like things really falling apart. But like as America was starting. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah, you walk. Pardon my bellicosity, but uh, (laughs) maybe Alexander Hamilton has the influence on me right now. Maybe that's it. But that's what I'm thinking is like, you know, the the option, the opportunity to be part of something so amazing and big. And, you know, it's very romanticized, obviously, in the movie. But that's how I see it. I'd want to go back to like Woodstock era. I think it'd be cool Ooh, to go to Woodstock because cool. I wouldn't want to go too far back because I'm Mexican. I don't know how super welcomed <laughs> I'd be. You know what I mean? Wait, but, can we choose ethnic? Are we choosing gender? Like, can we also choose ethnicity? Are we? Can we, is this like anything you want? Like grab and go? Sure, you we can build yourself. Yeah, that way. yeah. There were no rules, so that's why I wasn't sure. Like, what all? If I, you can you go know, back in I'm time, not... male or female, any kind of ethnicity, go, <laughs> go. <laughs> um. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna go with. This is new answer, final answer. Mad Men style era, uh, Don Draper, oh. and where I could have a bar in my office and I could drink anytime during the day. And it was so socially acceptable. And then people had to deal with that in the next decade. But that decade, they were cool about it, right? Yeah, they fucked it up for the next generation completely. That's right. Thus, now, now, now you got people like us on this podcast talking about That's why we're yeah. here, right? So maybe they gave us the gift of this podcast. Maybe we're looking at it all wrong. Thank well, you, Don s- Draper. I don't know. Like drinking in the office or smoking on a plane? Like I get how smoking on a plane it stinks, but I vape. My vape doesn't smell yeah. like anything. So it yeah. would be cool to like do that on a plane and people not have, you know, cardiac arrest, but yeah. it's like and you can't outfits, smell it. <laughs> men were always in suits. Yeah. And yeah. women had I want to wear hats and gloves all the time. Guys. <laughs> I, like I love it. I just told Jason we are working an event and I said, I love it when women wear hats like that. And they're just there are these <sighs> hats because some women do, but a lot don't. And I'm like, I love it when they do because it's so out of the norm here. Not a lot of people wear hats like that. I love it. And ladies I always wear hats when I'm out. I love it. And, and, and any lady I'm seeing, if she's wearing like polka dots, it's like, okay, you just, 
I don't know what it is. Like Minnie Mouse? Oh, got, yeah. Is this like a Minnie Mouse fetish well, like, that we don't know, know about? No, like black with white and things <laughs> like that. I just love kind of that that 50s, you know. That kind classic. Of, yeah. I love it, too. And I love the, the cut, really, the hyper-focus on vintage clothing. The way that the clothing is cut, and it is just it's such an art form. And to find the different designers of that period that were really good at their art it, it is it's, a, it's another form of art you know fashion done well and not just for the sake of a label or a price tag mm-hmm. when it's really done well is just another art form yeah yeah absolutely for sure mikey you got one more before we leave alicia with the uh, final words i know that you have a lot of thoughts with adhd and all that stuff but when you're stopped in traffic what's usually the first thing that goes through your head right when i stop right when you stop when you come to a complete stop Oh my gosh, I am usually listening to a podcast in the car. Mm. So that's probably not great because I'm already a distracted driver. So whoever's <laughs> on the podcast, like you guys, I would be thinking, oh, okay, we're listening to this podcast right now. And then I would finally realize, oh my gosh, this car is waiting on me to turn or waiting on me to go. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't be doing that in the car, knowing that I'm already not very cognitive of cognizant of what's going on around me. But yeah, that's my time. I don't drive a ton. We're pretty close around here to everything. When I travel, it's usually on an airplane. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm stopped in traffic, it's definitely I'm squeezing in as much of that kind of stuff I want to do because mm-hmm. here at the house, like it's almost time for all the kids to be here. Um, we're very strategic about making our schedule when we're home to like be present, not just sure. present, but like present as mm-hmm. much as we can. Right. So I don't listen to podcasts a lot except for in the car. Yeah. So that's not a fun answer, maybe, but it's fun. I love the podcast. It's an excellent it's answer. I love an the casting of the pods. The casting <laughs> yeah, of the pods. It's an excellent answer. Uh, Alicia, if uh, you can leave the uh, the listeners, viewers with some uh, some words of encouragement, maybe if they, they too have a traumatic history such as yourself or have struggling with any sort of mental health issues, um, what can you lend? I would say first and foremost, uh, Lean into your story, validate those feelings, what you're feeling at any time is worth investing in and really know that you're not the only person who feels that way. But what narrative do you want to live out? You can stay in that feeling, you can stay in that shit, you can stay in that cycle, whether that's your own brain or the physical cycle that you're placed in or that you've got yourself in or you can make the decision to look at the other side of the narrative and that there's always two parts of the narrative in our brain. There's always two sides of it. And every day we have to decide which one we're going to believe. And I just try more days than not to believe the side of the narrative that says you can do this. There's more things that are worth living for than not living for. Mm -hmm. There are more good than there are bad. And when you get into that point where you can't do that for yourself anymore, seek out, get help, talk to a professional, listen to a cool podcast like this. <laughs> and then uh, if you really, really find I can't do it, I can't get out of this cycle. This is in my brain and I know I, I can hear that. I know this isn't the whole story, but I'm stuck. You're not stuck. You just need help. Yeah. And that's when you need to reach out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you so much. Of course, Alicia is the host of the Imperfectly Polished, uh, Polished podcast. We're looking forward to the book. Please let us know so we can get a copy. I am a, I'm a reader. I can focus. Um, and I can't. Continual great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it to you. Perfect. Okay, Mikey. Perfect. I'll send you the audio book. And but only for you know, five minutes. 
That's right. Yeah, bite-sized nuggets. Every day I'll just send you five minutes. Okay? That's fine. Yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. We, yeah, perfect. Uh, well, Miss Alicia Crosley, uh, roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide, guys. Thanks so much. Miss Alicia Crosley, thank you again so much for coming on Knocking Doors Down. Mikey, you coined it great. What an example of Knocking Doors Down. Extraordinary lady. Roll tide. Roll tide, baby. Uh, I, she's kind of the per- one of those people we meet so many extraordinary people that it's like, gosh, if we could all just like have like a banquet dinner or something and everybody get together, she she just seems like she'd be such an awesome person to have a break bread with. So I still don't understand roll tide. I don't get where that came from. I get it comes from Alabama football but like what is roll tide what does that mean the crimson tide like roll roll on i'd have to look up what the overall is it kind definition. of like the uh, the californians all oh, right on well well okay. no because she said you could say it at a funeral too like roll so, tide yeah so there's the crimson tide right we don't Obviously, say right on at the, funerals you know what i'm no, saying so no. it, that's not the one but it does serve like an all-purpose wor- word like i tend to use it like i've said it before i'm surprised you don't remember like where we've been somewhere a nice looking lady rocks walks by and they go man she's roll tide i've never heard you say that <laughs> really <laughs> I've never heard you say Which that goes to show fucking liar the only time <laughs> you pay attention to me is on this podcast otherwise what well if there's a good looking woman walking by the last thing i'm paying attention to is you i mean i love you but damn <laughs> uh, well thank you again for listening to knocking doors down don't forget to subscribe on uh, the apple podcast app where you can uh, leave us a five-star rating and review helps us uh, climb those charts share it with a friend also on uh, of course spotify google podcast iHeart app. We are everywhere you get podcasts to uh, to be <laughs> honest. You can simply get it by going to kddpodcast.com and click all those links for your preferred app. Or of course, as Mikey enjoys it on YouTube. I prefer, I'm a visual guy. Yeah, that's all right. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. I like some auditory. What can I say? I like to look at what I'm listening to. I get you. Well, and if you're like me and you enjoy to read and you enjoy inspirational autobiographies, don't forget to pick up Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, the book that really spawned on this podcast. The link is in the description. Get it on Amazon. All the proceeds, 100%, go back to helping the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three programs. The Race to End the Stigma, that's around mental health. The Race for Autism, families who have children with autism and then it helps uh, with scholarships to meet their needs and of course the race to be drug free program getting kids involved in activities keeping them off the streets away from gangs and drugs uncle mikey anything else no i'm going home on that note wait roll tide on that (laughs) note keep knocking doors down This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors.
Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.